Welcome to another episode of Genesis, and today we are embarking on chapter 28. That's right, we are closing in on the end of our Genesis series. Hope you've been enjoying this. I know Dan and I have. By the way, my name is Jonathan Chan. Thank you for joining us again and keeping up with all the lovely sermons that we've been doing throughout Genesis. Now, Customarily, before we usually begin on our adventure, we usually start off with a video clip. And so sit back, relax, and enjoy this clip, and we'll be right back. Billy, I got 37 free agents that are better than those three guys. Wait a minute, let me get this straight. So you're not going to bring in one, but three defective players to replace Giambi. Is that what I'm hearing? You're not buying into this Bill James bullshit, are you? This is the new direction of the Oakland A's. We are card counters. At the blackjack table. We're going to turn the odds on the casino. Well, welcome back. Dan, last week, went through a series of chapters that talked about a really screwed up family. Namely, Isaac, Rebecca, and their two boys, Jacob and Esau. Now, I thought it would be good to provide a summary for all of you before we embark on chapter 28. But then I thought to myself, it would be really boring to just lay it all out in front of you like a talking head. So I figure I'll put this summary into music, maybe put into a hip hop, provide you with a failed attempt of mine to provide a hip hop rendition of Jacob and Esau, Isaac and Rebecca. And so, here's my fatal attempt of John's rendition in hip-hop format of the previous chapters that Dan talked about last week. Enjoy! Hey yo, have I got a story to tell you. It's about how God uses a screwed up family. Let's go. Once upon a time, a very long ago, there lived a man whose name was Abraham. He had a pretty wife, but had no kids. They waited and waited and waited and nothing. Then one day he heard God's voice above to tell him leave Ur where he was secure. Abraham obeyed, took his wife with him, sheep and cattle and servants and lot. One starry night, Abraham was sleeping. God showed up and told him, wake up! Cut animals in half, God walked through a promise, rain fire and smoke to himself. A promise to Abraham, God will give him kids. A promise to Abraham, God will give him land. A promise to Abraham, God will save the world. A promise that nations will be drawn to him. God, use a screwed up family. God, use a screwed up family. God, use a screwed up family. Screwed up family. Screwed up family. God, use a screwed up family. God, use a screwed up family. God, use a screwed up family. Screwed up family, screwed up family. Fast forward now, Sarah births Isaac, a complete dorm, that a blessing and a curse. When God tested Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, submissive Isaac was, he would screw up the family. Isaac's wife Rebecca, strong and ambitious. Isaac was the man, but Rebecca wore the pants. When she was pregnant with twins in her tummy, the two will be the start of a screwed up family. See, two boys were born, one smooth, one hairy. The hairy was older, the smooth was younger. Isaac loved the older, Rebecca loved the younger. And here we begin a dramatic tragedy. Esau the older, Jacob the younger. Esau loved hunting, Jacob loved baking. Esau was daddy's boy, Jacob was mama's boy. So when God said Jacob would be his man, we have a problem. God! 
He's a screwed up family card. He's a screwed up family card. He's a screwed up family. La 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 la. Oi 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 oi. God. He's a screwed up family card. He's a screwed up family card. He's a screwed up family. Screwed up family. Screwed up family. Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, his brother, for a bowl of stew and a piece of bread. Esau cared less about his birthright, so Jacob already had a leg up on his brother. Fast forward again, Isaac is old, blind and may die, so he called in Esau. Knowing full well Jacob was God's man, Isaac chose Esau, so Rebekah devised a plan. She said, Jacob, pretend to be your brother, trick your daddy to get your blessing. So Jacob did what mama told him, and when Isaac was duped, Esau was pissed. Swear to kill Jacob his brother, Esau spoke out loud, and Rebekah heard it. So she said to Jacob, get out of town, go to my brother and find your significant other. Yes, I'm done. That, I will never ever do that again. And I will hopefully not do that again for the sake of not just me, but for you, the listener and the one who's watching this video. So what questions are going through your mind right now after Dan's sermon on those chapters of The Screwed Up Family? Now, before you start thinking about those questions, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites because they were the author's intended audience when he wrote Genesis. God's chosen people, the Israelites, the people God made a covenant with Abraham, who we will, he will use to usher nations upon nations of peoples far and wide to God himself and into his presence. That's pretty grandeur. The Israelites were God's chosen agents to bring in God's redemption into this world. Genesis, therefore, was their origin story. Genesis was their history. So if you were a Jewish little one, Jewish lad, probably in his teens, attending class in a tent during the Exodus, being told this story for the first time with Rabbi Aaron teaching you, what would be going on in your mind? What questions would you have for Rabbi Aaron? Aside from, you know, when you're going to get your next Nike sandals. Well, if I were the student, I would ask this. Can this screwed up family still be able to bring forth God's covenant amidst all those imperfections and all those screw ups that they made? And for us, if we screw up as bad as they did, is God able to bring about his covenant with us that he made on Mount Sinai through Moses? Can he still use us? In other words, will God still keep his covenant and is he, and is he able to move the covenant along using his people in the midst of his people's constant screw-ups? Or will there be one gigantic screw-up that would break the camel's back and all of this will go in the shitter? Or, or, I know it's a run-on sentence here, or is there something that needs to be revisited when God made the covenant with Abraham? Our goal today is to respond to those questions. The author uses this chapter to not only respond to those questions, but also use this chapter for the purpose of a watershed moment. Ooh, big word, watershed moment. In other words, after Dan's sermon, things looked really bad. And we are wondering, so was the reader, and so was the audience, and so was the young lad in the tent getting told this story by Rabbi Aaron. Is there a watershed moment, i.e., is there a turning point or everything's heading to the wrong direction? Let's begin. 
Genesis chapter 28, verse 1 to 4. So Isaac called for Jacob, blessed him, and said, You must not marry any of these Canaanite women like your brother who married Hittite women. I just added that because this is a reference point back to that story previously. Instead, go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your grandfather, Bethuel, and marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. Oh, there's Laban again. How nice. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children, and may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he promised to Abraham. May you own this land where you are now living as a foreigner, for God gave this land to Abraham. You see, this phrase here, after doing that hip-hop segment for you guys, this could go well with some beats too, don't you think? Anyway, probably knowing that he will not see Jacob ever again because he's so old, Isaac bids Jacob toodaloo. And like his father Abraham, Isaac knew that it was critically important for Jacob to find a wife who was on the same page as he was, or else God's vision for them would be jeopardized. If you remember with Abraham finding a wife for Isaac, he told his servant never to allow his son to marry Canaanite women. Well, Isaac does the same thing for Jacob. Reiterating the blessing received from Abraham before he died, Isaac does the same for Jacob and bids him farewell and blesses his journey. So can this be a turning point? Is this a watershed moment? We're not quite sure yet. But Isaac seems to accept his screw-ups and acknowledge finally that Jacob is the rightful heir to carry on God's covenant, not Esau. However, now for Esau, just like Donald Trump in the, U in the United States, who just can't seem to accept the fact that he lost the election, Isaac, uh, I'm sorry, Esau is doing something similar. Here, let's go on to verse 5. Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to stay with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, the son of Bethuel the Aramean. Esau knew that his father Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to find a wife, and that he had warned Jacob, you must not marry a Canaanite woman. He also knew that Jacob had obeyed his parents and gone to Padan Aram. It was now very clear to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women. So Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters, in addition to the wives he already had. His new wife's name was Mahalath. She was the sister of Nabaioth and the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. Now it was clear for Esau that he wasn't supposed to marry a Hittite woman. Woman, I mean. Now remember, Hittite women are the same as Canaanites. Now, he knew it was actually a good thing now to obey his parents. Finally, after all that time, he finally knew that, man, it was probably good to obey my parents. That took a while, eh? It took losing his blessing and losing his family rights to suddenly dawn on him that his disobedience and carelessness had dire consequences. So what does he do? Esau still thought he could salvage a blessing from Esau. I mean, from Isaac by marrying his uncle's daughters in addition to the wives he already had to see if he can get back on the good books of Isaac. Did he? Nope. When God said that Jacob was his man, there was a reason for that. Esau had absolutely no discernment or even respected God's covenant. 
He treated God's vision, God's covenant for his family, like it was a bowl of stew. So let's move on. Verse 10. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and then east to the north and the south. Again, something that could be in rhythm, don't you think? They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Let's skip the stairway part for a moment. We will return to it after we discuss Jacob's first encounter with God. If I was Jacob... After all that I did, i.e. taking advantage of my brother, deceiving my father to get the blessing, and now running away from home to who knows where because, hey, my brother's going to kill me. Not only that, but I'm all alone in the wilderness. I have this huge guilt hanging over my head for deceiving my poor old and blind dad. I have a question, a big question in my head now. Is my blessing legit? See, I cheated to get this blessing instead of waiting for God to do his will. I did it, Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way. Is this blessing legitimate because I have this huge guilt over me for taking it? Did I screw up the big one and jeopardize my grandfather's covenant with God? Did I wasted my grandfather's efforts? See, if I was Jacob, that would be my questions. That would, that, those are the questions I would be asking myself and uh, doubting myself for that matter. Then God spoke to Jacob in his dream. Let's parse the statements that God made to Jacob. First, what did God say? I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. God didn't speak to Jacob until now. He never heard God's voice. Then God introduces himself to Jacob saying that he's a God who gave his grandfather Abraham the covenant. The God-given vision for not only his descendants, but also for the world through his descendants. This God is speaking to Jacob right now. This is the God that Abraham trusted to leave Ur and all that was familiar to an unknown foreign land. And this is the God who blessed Abraham because of Abraham's faithfulness. Next, next thing that God says, The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Even with Jacob's screw-ups in cheating, lying, and the guilt that is hanging over his head, God's promise to give Abraham and his descendants, including Jacob, this fast land remains intact. How about descendants? Will God continue his covenant promise of birthing a nation through Abraham and his descendants? God says this, Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south. That's an affirmative. That's a yes. God's promise of descendants and creating a nation out of Abraham remains intact. Now, the most important vision from God. How about his global vision for the world? 
with the screw-ups, lies, deceit, rebellion of Jacob and the screw-ups, lies, and deceit and rebellion of future generations of descendants jeopardize God's global vision of redeeming the world and bring those nations to him? God says this, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. In other words, no, it's not jeopardized. God's promise to Abraham and his covenant he made with Abraham and all of humanity remains intact. Wow. Regardless how humanity screws up, no matter how often his chosen people screw up, God will continue to keep his promises to fulfill his covenant with Abraham and humanity. That there will be a nation that will come out of Abraham who will usher all the nations and families around the earth into God's presence and be blessed by him. And that all creation will be made new in his presence. God's covenant remains intact. But wait, there's more. And this one is specifically for Jacob. Quote, What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Jacob, regardless of your deceitfulness and guilt, God will continue to finish his work in you. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, regardless of how many screw-ups you do. Remain faithful in light of your screw-ups, for when you remain faithful, you remain in God's protection and provision. You will remain in God's given vision for you. That's what God is trying to say to Jacob. Wow. Just like what God did with Abraham, where regardless of Abraham's actions, remember of him lying about Sarah being his sister, God's vision remains intact. Now, let's go back to the stairway because I promise you we will. Interestingly, Jesus also brought up the stairway when he was speaking to his audience, the disciples, in the first chapter of John. It's found here in verse 51. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who's the stairway between the heaven and earth. Jesus told his disciples that he is the stairway, the one who connects and brings earth and heaven together, bringing earth and all its inhabitants into the presence of God. Jesus, the one who was born of a virgin, adopted into Abraham's genealogy through Joseph, the true Israelite, God himself in human form, fulfilled the covenant that God made with Abraham, despite all the screw-ups and rebellion that Israel committed throughout their history. God still kept his promise to Abraham that Abraham's descendants will bless and usher nations around the world to God's presence. And you might ask, how is this possible? Well, remember right in the beginning where I said maybe it's time to revisit Abraham's covenant? Recall how God made his covenant with Abraham. Did Abraham walk through the animal halves with God? No, only God did. God made the covenant with Abraham using himself as Abraham and humanity's representative. That regardless of humanity's screw-ups, God's covenant remains intact. Jesus is God in human form, humanity's representative of the covenant, connecting and ushering all of creation to God himself. And just on a side note, who is this nation out of Abraham then? Is it the ethnic Israelites? Do you and I have to be <clears throat> circumcised or become a Jew in order to be part of this nation? 
Paul says no, as he explains in Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 to 9. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Everyone who has faith in Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. The nation who will be blessing through the many families around the world, ushering them into the presence of God, are the Christians, those who put their faith in Jesus. So you might be asking then, okay, John, why did you entitle this sermon a watershed then? Why would you, I call this chapter 28 a watershed moment? Why would the author, maybe, I don't know, maybe the, maybe the author's intent was to call it a watershed moment, but why? Why would you call this a watershed moment? Well, have you ever felt like Jacob? That you've sinned way too often and too much? That you've screwed up way too many times, sinned too many times, rebelled against God too many times, and neglected to give God your time too many times, neglected to give God space and resources because you were just too engrossed with the world's worries too many times? Have you ever felt this immense guilt and shame that God can never forgive you or use you anymore or even associate with you anymore or call you God's child anymore? In other words, have you felt like Jacob? To the nth degree. And there seems to be no way to change a course, right? Just like Jacob, there seems to be nowhere to run, nowhere to change his course either. It just seems like he's just heading directly to the tunnel of guilt and um, there's no, no turning back. Are you feeling like Jacob right now? A watershed moment is a turning point. The situation may not change right away, but it's a catalyst for changes to come. The video clip that I showed you was from Moneyball. Uh, Billy Bean, Brad Pitt's character, was introducing a change in perspective, in strategy, in the whole DNA of how baseball should operate and how to pick players. And another example of a watershed moment, watershed moment, sorry, I almost mispronounced it to become profanity, is just like near the end of 2020, the year 2020. The watershed moment for many people and for many news outlets, outlets was when the two companies produced a vaccine for COVID. Now, that was a watershed moment. However, did we suddenly have less case COVID cases? Was COVID eradicated right after the announcement? No. Uh, at the time of this recording, we still are under lockdown. We're still in quarantine and we still cannot meet with people or have uh, church services. And COVID is still running rampant. In fact, there's a new variant that's making COVID spread even faster. No, COVID hasn't, COVID's still here, but it has not been eradicated. But that day will come. Similar to a Christian life, there will still be lots of journeying, learning, and allowing the Holy Spirit to continue to mold us after the time when we made Jesus our Lord and Savior. We will always have slip-ups and screw-ups, things that seem to never go away, and often we feel there's no, turning, there's no turning point, no change, no watershed moment where there's hope for changes to come. It doesn't seem like we can 
change course. It's like uh, we're just up to here with our ha bad habits, up to here with our temptations, and up to here with our screw-ups. Is there a watershed moment for us? Yes. When God told Jacob, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. This is similar to what Paul says in Philippians. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Anytime we feel like Jacob, anytime we feel like there's, we just screwed up way too many times or have given into our bad habits again or have given into temptation or have, or have think to ourselves that we're just so shameful and, and full of guilt. Remember what God said to Jacob and take it as your own. Because God's talking to you too. I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. See, as long as we are re remain faithful in God, remain faithful, remain in Him, we will remain in God's given vision for each of us. We will remain in Him, in His covenant, regardless of our screw-ups. Because why? It was because of Jesus. Jesus represented us, and Jesus continues to represent us. Jesus continues to represent us, the human representative, to take us through all our screw-ups, to take upon ourselves all our sins and bad habits, and nail them on the cross. He gives us that watershed moment. He reminds us of that watershed moment. He gives us access to the phrase, to the blessings that God gave to Jacob, meaning God is saying, I am with you always. Amen. Thank you.